this is Tasha Rollins from the Autism in Action podcast, and today you're listening to the Moments of Grace podcast with Dr. A. Jerome Butler. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler, and welcome to A Moment of Grace. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. Today is just take a breath, you know, uh, breathe in, breathe out, and, and just be thankful that you have life. You know, um, there are a lot of things, and we can wear a lot of hats that that seem like they don't connect. And I'd, I'd like to just play pay play a game with you just for a moment, if you don't mind. And and you can have a mental discussion within yourself and see if these things match. Um, first one, um, the Jets football team. Okay. Um, California Boxing Hall of Fame, Gambino crime family. Um, Muhammad Ali, Ken Norton, um, uh, Superman. Uh, even, uh, let's throw an extra one in there. Um, the spy who loved me. Uh, if you can figure all of that out, then then you are a genius. And all of those don't seem to go together, except for my guest today. <laughs> my guest today is is Jack O'Halloran, uh, who has been a professional football player, boxer, and uh, has written a book as well about the Gambino crime family and has been in several movies, including Superman 2 and The Spy Who Loves Me. Jack, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing the best I can, whatever they'll let me get away with. <laughs> well, my friend, look like you've been getting away with a lot over the course of your life. You've been a busy man, very, very busy. Would you share with the audience, I share with the audience a little bit of who you are, but no one knows himself better than you. So would you share with, this, share with the audience who you are? Well, I've... Uh played a little professional sports and been inducted into several Hall of Fames for boxing and um, I've done uh, some pretty good movies in my career over 40 some years and uh, started with Farewell My Lovely and probably more known for the iconic Superman movies. Uh, wrote a book called Family Legacy which uh, is a true story about my life as a young man and my father who was a guy called Albert Anastasia who was the who was, uh, had his own family, the Anastasia family, which became the Gambino family. Right. Uh, when they assassinated him in 57, but he ran a little company called Murder Incorporated. Right, well, we, we've read a little bit about that over the years. And so your your uh, father was was uh, part of that, that, that whole crime family. He was part of the whole original crew when they first came in, the, the, when they put the commission together, he and Charlie, he was he was right next to Charlie Luciana when uh, he put together the uh, the commission, okay. and uh, they put the five families together in New York, and, and they put the commission together across the country and, and formed what they called the Cosa Nostra. Um, mm. And he was uh, Albert controlled all the docks and everything in the, in the country, and they assassinated him in 57 because Gambino wanted the drug business. And my father, you ever seen the Godfather when they went to Brando for drugs? And he said, if we touch it, our children will touch it. It'd be a downfall of the families. And he, he begged off of it. Well, Albert did the same thing. And 
and they assassinated him because he wouldn't get in the drug business. And then they realized they made the worst mistake they ever made because he was the glue that held them all together. Wow. Wow. And uh, things changed when Gambino got his way and then drugs became a way of earning, you know, big earning capacity. But it was also the downfall of, uh, of a lot of things. You know? Right. Right. Wow. I know um, being from New York and I remember um, it was very well known that, um, you know, some of the larger families would, would um, pay for a nun to go to the nunnery. And, um, you know, so, you know, I have some other, some others, no stories like yours, of course, but, you know, just kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, so, you know, in some circles, there was always something um, that was sinister, but there was always some, some positive uh, about some of those you know, families. What people don't understand is that when they, you know, when these guys started out in uh, 1900, and they came into the country and stuff, and uh, they first got put, started putting things together. They, you know, the, their mode of, of, of earning was gambling, uh, loan sharking, extortion. Uh, so if you didn't have a job, how could you, how could you pay them? Right. And right. So they created. They took a lot of their illicit monies and they put it back into the growth of a country. No one ever right. talks about that. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's these. what. Yeah, that's why I was saying. I know for sure that a lot of them were Catholic, and and you know a lot of the uh, sending a nun, and we're talking about college. You know, sending these nuns to college primarily. Well, was, if you look at if you look at all the cathedrals mm -hmm, in the United right. States, the property that they sat on. And they never paid taxes for years. Right. right. And they were protected. No one ever bothered a church. You're right. For years. <laughs> you are I mean, right. You just would not even think about it. You You're know? right. And they all went to church. I mean, my father yeah. went to mass every Sunday. You know, they all, they were very, you're right, they were religious. And, and to include um, a ton of uh, schools in New York um, that were Catholic schools. Um, well, you didn't have to pay to go that were paid for by the church. And probably some of this was paid by, you know, some of the, uh, the mob money. That's very true. Very, very true. Yeah. But, uh, and people never look at that. You know what I'm saying? The, uh, the education was a far cry better in those days when I was a kid. I mean, you and I both, <laughs> you know, when you if you if you flunked the class, you were left back. You repeated your class. You and know? I did. And, and to they, include the, the, the nuns with that, that uh, ruler on your knuckles. I will never forget <laughs> that one, my friend. Well, they had, well, you know, I was telling somebody that the other day. You know, I was at a, I was at a school in Philadelphia where we had like 5,000 children in an eight-year school. Okay. And I had classrooms with 75 to 80 children in them. Right. But you could hear a pin drop yes. in that classroom. Yes. I mean, those nuns yes. took care of business. There was they no did. shenanigans. You know what I mean? You, I, I, I am a witness. <laughs> there is no. <laughs> there is no <laughs> I, I, mean, I am a. I'm a, a. I am a witness, my friend. And, and you know the the funny part was that if you ever, if you got hit in school by a nun and you went home and said a nun hit me, you'd get you get hit it at again. home because they'd say, "What did nun have? To, what'd you do that she had to hit you?" Exactly, you, you got it again. Wrong. That's right. No. You 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 ended up getting it again because uh, you you, and you <laughs> it was like double jeopardy. Exactly, my friend. Exactly, exactly. Well, you um, you you've also written this book, but you, you you've had a very very storied career. 
Jack, and uh, share with us because you you played professional football uh, with the Jets and also with the with the Eagles before you got into boxing. Share share with us how that uh, how that transpired for you. Well, you know, I was uh, uh, it was an era when it was an era when they didn't have what you call hardship cases, where kids come out of school in their freshman year, right. they go to college for one year, and then all of a sudden they're in the pros. Uh, you could not play professional ball until your class graduated in those days. So if you left school and you went, and, and I was like uh, 6'6", 280, and I ran a nine, a four nine, a four six forty, you know. So they wow. uh, had kind of a lot of uh, athletic skills that they liked, and um, so the Jets grabbed me right away, and uh, and I sat on a on like a farm system that they had until you until you were eligible to play. And when it came time for me to play, uh, Philadelphia had a lot of friends of mine down there playing and they had a great team with Jurgensen and Tommy McDonald and uh, Timmy Brown. And it was just a lot of ballplayers down there. And then they hired Joe, a kid named Jerry Wallman bought the team and they hired a guy named Joe Kuharik and he traded the championship football team away like in three months, this guy. Oh, traded Jurgensen wow. to Washington for a guy called Norman Sneed that could hardly could hardly take a snap. Uh, who was that I now? Traded... Not being funny. Don't be funny, Norm... Jack. Norman Sneed. <laughs> I know. Norman no, Sneed. I know. I'm just being funny. Played for, played for Washington, but then right. Jurgensen was a great quarterback. Exactly. Exactly. And then they traded like five great young ball players to Green Bay for an older, retired, almost retired player, Jim Ringo whose career was just about over. And they, I mean, the only guy left on the line was uh, poor, poor Brown. Brown was a, was, a, was a great tackle, but he was by himself. And the only running back that was left was poor Tommy Woodishek from West Virginia. So they, I mean, they were getting, so I, Ali had just won the title. And I said to some friends of mine in Philly, you know, I could beat him. Okay. And, uh, okay. They said, you know, that's a pretty good idea. And I was a tough kid in the streets. Right, know, and stuff. right. So they put me in the gym and, you know, six months later I embarked and I couldn't box amateur because I was already considered a professional. So I went right into the professional ranks of fighting. So so now you you, you had, if I'm, if I'm understanding right, uh, you would know better than I was of, of going by, by what I have in your bio, is that you won your first 16 professional fights and, and yeah, were I did. considered. Then I went to do a physical for a fight and they told me I suffered from a thing called acromeglia. And I okay. said, yeah, well, can I fight? And the guy said, no, this is something very serious that you have to look at. Uh, it's a tumor of the pituitary gland, and, and it will kill you if you don't take care of it. And they couldn't believe that I was even able to fight. They said, well, how can you even get mentally up to get in the ring? Because so, so my skeleton right today is like 60 pounds heavier than it should be because of the density of my bones and the size of my bones. And I'm probably about three inches taller than I should have been because uh, of my vertebrae size and stuff. And because when with acromeglia, when I went, when they tested me, uh, your body normally puts out 10% growth hormone. Mine was putting out 150% growth hormone. And, and this is after your 16th fight, or yeah, after because... my 16th fight. But they, you know, and they said, well, we don't think you should be boxing at all, and think maybe you should consider what you're doing. And uh, 
and because of uh, I was owned by some organized crime guys, they weren't definitely not taking my license away. Gotcha. And, and, and boxing sports was a day job, you know. Right. You, you come from the Bronx, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. If you, I was involved in my father's world, so nighttime I did union business, and and you had to have a day job to show where you were making money from. So right. Uh, boxing became a day job. You know? <laughs> so that became, re- regardless of, of, of what the doctor said, that became your day job. Well, yeah, and, you know, so I, but I didn't take it as, as, as seriously as I did when I started. And, gotcha. Um, and then I started taking fights on, you know, three-day notice, four-day notice, because I could fight in Ohio or somewhere in somebody's backyard, but I didn't care because I could go take care of other business while I was there, you know? Mm, got you. And just got gave you. me a reason to be places. Be there. You know what I, mean? I got you. Well, now you you also had um, you know some some storied fights with um, um, George Foreman, uh, Ken Norton, and uh, I believe Muhammad Ali's brother as well. Oh, Rockman. Yeah, Rockman. <laughs> I was I went out to I was in Philadelphia. And I was living in Jersey, South Jersey, right outside of Philly, and we we. We had some bad union problems with a bunch of indictments against us. And a guy called me on the phone. He said, uh, you want to fight Ken Norton? I said, when? He said, next week. I said, send me a ticket. Oh, wow. He said, you'll take the fight? <laughs> I said, send me a ticket. I wanted wow. to get out of town, you know? Okay, okay. So I went to California, and I trained about four or five days, and I gave Norton a terrible licking. Okay. And they gave him, because they were looking to... He was owned by some millionaires, and they were looking to make him up for the title. World champ, and, right? Uh, and and they uh, and I could have actually sat on the stool in the ninth round and, and won the fight on a foul, but I was angry and I went back out of the ring. I said, "What?" But I won the city over. The people went crazy over because I could fight. And right. So I stayed there and I banged out a few people, and then I get a phone call from Muhammad, and he said, um, "You got to do me a favor," and I said. What do you mean, do your favor? He said, said, sign the contract to fight me. I'll do your favor. He said, well, do that. We'll we'll get to it. He said, but you got to do me this favor. And and he was with a friend of mine, Gene Kilroy from Vegas. Okay. I said, "Uh, what is the favor? He said, well, you're fighting my brother Rockman, and you got to get him out of boxing. Oh, wow. Are you (laughs) really, Jack? uh, Oh, gosh. Rockman's your brother? He said, yeah, and you got to get him out of boxing. He said, yeah, it's like embarrassing a little. And... I said, oh boy, I better go in the gym a couple of days. So I I, uh, I knocked Rockman out in the, in the I think, the ninth they round. Tried. Okay. Yep. And he never fought again. I mean, I, I heard him pretty bad. Okay, so you, he, you, did a, you, you did a hit job for Ali. <laughs> yeah, and he never fought again. And, and, and so I called him on the phone and I said, so we put together a deal where he was coming to San Diego to fight me and uh, the arena was owned by a, a wealthy Canadian guy, and he uh, we made a deal giving Ali 40% of everything, you know, all the community television stuff and all that stuff, and um, pay-per-view. Okay. And everything was working very well. We had a contract signed and everything, and then all of a sudden Norton was owned by two very wealthy men in San Diego, and they went to Chicago with a satchel full of money and gave it to Herbert Muhammad. And uh, and the fight with Norton with me was off, and Muhammad was oh, fighting wow. Norton all of a sudden. Oh wow! And he called me on the phone, and he he was crying. He said, "I I don't know how to tell you this because he he and I were good friends. Right. And he was you. a good. I mean, Muhammad Ali was probably one of the better athletes you'll ever see or find. I mean, he, he could have any sport he could have done. He was just a great athlete. Gotcha. 
at you. And he and he was a great individual. He was very bright and uh, and he was very athletically skilled. He could fight. He could. I mean, he'd have been good at anything he tried to do. You know? Gotcha. Gotcha. And he, you know, all the boasting and stuff like that, he learned from Gorgeous George, the wrestler. Okay. Gorgeous yeah. George. Gorgeous George told him. He said, "Listen, man, you want to make half of the crowd mm -hmm. angry to want to see you get beat." Mm -hmm. And half of the crowd will come to see you win, but you'll have a hundred percent of the crowd. There you go. There you go. There you go. And that's what he did. You know, well, he, he surely was, did. And he, you know, he'd shoot his mouth off and all that. That was all ploy, man, just to you know aggravate people to come to see him get beat. And uh, <laughs> he, but he could fight, and, and he knew it. And then he was, and then his biggest problem, I think, was his brother, Rockman, was a Muslim. Okay. And Ali wasn't in the beginning but right. and he was owned Cassius by Clay. right and this story i don't think ever really came out well can you do this for me jack let's let's take a little break yeah. and when we come back i want you to share with us uh the story with, about muhammad ali and yeah, uh, sure. and his brother and uh when we come back we're going to, to, to go into <laughs> a little bit more of your career and because uh, you you really have uh, a very storied career and and uh to, to be honest with you, we really appreciate having you here with us on Moments of Grace. So uh, we're going to take a small break. And when we come back, we are talking with Jack uh, O'Halloran. Uh, used to be, well, boxing was, was Irish Jack O'Halloran and uh, played football. And, and when he comes back, he's got uh, uh, some more to share with us about uh, his relationship uh, with Muhammad Ali and uh, uh, Rockman Ali when we come right back. This is your host, Dr. Ray Jerome Butler, and we'll be right back after these messages. The In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Please join me for interesting conversations with interesting people, featuring interviews with award-winning authors, relationship and life coaches, therapists, and a wide variety of people with intriguing stories to share. Interesting conversations with interesting people. Available on all major podcast platforms now, 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 now. The In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Our podcast has been nominated for five spin awards. I would like to thank you for listening and also for your votes to the nominating committee at the Spin Awards. Thank you all so much for recognizing our moments of grace. And we pray that you have a day of grace. Thank you. And we're back. We have today with us Jack O'Halloran, who has been a professional football player. Uh, he was telling us earlier about his uh, his family's time or his father's time uh, connected to the um, Gambino crime family, as well as, uh, you know, he's in the California Boxing Hall of Fame. Um, he, he's fought uh, Ken Norton, George Foreman, uh, Rockman Ali, and uh, uh, many other uh, uh, many other boxers uh, had a great record of 34, 21, and two, with 17 knockouts. And so, Jack, welcome back to Moments of Grace. Thank you. 
Wonderful. Now you were sharing with us before the break about um, this deal, uh, the deal that fell through with you and and uh, uh, boxing great <laughs> Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah. and uh, how um, uh, you know his brother was a Muslim. He wasn't initially, but uh, uh, how all no, that well, came he, about? He, he got, he got like, you know, his he was owned originally by a white group out of Louisville, Kentucky, and. They gave him a Cadillac. I mean, they they saw how great this kid was in the Olympics, and uh, but where they faltered was his contract ran out, and they never renewed it fast enough. Oh wow! And his brother said took it to Chicago, and uh, and Herbert Muhammad got involved, and and all of a sudden he was under contract to the Muslims in Chicago. Oh okay. And. Uh, and he started to get involved in the religion, you know, and gotcha. uh, and when and the sad part was, you know, when he when they want when when he was owned by the white group in, in Louisville, he was listed as one Y on the draft board, which okay. meant he was exempt from going in this service. Yeah? Okay. And when they lost his contract, they went back in and they put him one A. Get out of here. Which so... made him draft eligible. So the, are you saying the government there. did that or, or how did this happen? Oh, the group in Louisville did The Louisville did this because oh, he didn't yeah. sign back with them. That's right. Wow. They went in and they changed his draft status to 1A and uh, and then all of a sudden he was eligible for the draft. So he said, well, what's the big deal? He said, you know, I can do like Joe Lewis. I can go in the, in the army. I, right. I can I can we can still box while I'm in the army, and right. I can be training fighters how to soldiers how to fight, and, you know, uh, and I'll never leave the country. I will be, will be right here. And they said, no, 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 no. They said uh, we're making an example out of you, and, wow. and they scared him because they just killed Malcolm X. Right, exactly. And that scared right. the hell out of him. So right. he, they told him that if you go in the service and you do what you just said, we will shoot you from behind. Oh, get out of here. Wow. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, and he got, the, you know, so he went ahead and, and they took like three or four years of his life away from him wow. in the prime of his career. And his know? title at that Which time. Which was very sad, you know, and yeah. then they made a deal when he came back, uh, when he, when they allowed him to box again, and I think he beat Quarry and someone, then he... They did the Frazier fight, but the Frazier fight was done on a, on a basis that if he lost the Frazier, his court thing would go away. Okay. And, so, uh, so these guys really had a lot of power to oh yeah. to to oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, to move to move pieces like that, you know, yeah, kind oh, of yeah. pieces no, 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 board no, like no. that. They had and a lot. And then he power. really got into the religion. You know, he really did get into it. But right. He um, and he was a very you know you got you had to know him period one on one you know he was uh, he was an incredible individual Jeez, right. he was a bright guy but he um, he believed in the, in the movement when he when he got into it right he knew he helped a lot of people but they also took a lot away from him okay you know? right he brought money into the sport mm. and made a lot of money right he didn't keep. You know, right. Uh, so he, you know, he, he fought for way far too long, and he and they thought he had Parkinson's disease, and that wasn't true either. Uh, okay. What with the problem with him was is that 
his training camp up in Pennsylvania was next to a mink farm. Okay. And when they went and sprayed for the minks, you know, to keep uh, the bugs down. Right. His body was allergic to that. He'd be out doing his road work and he oh. he got into his system and uh, and he started, his body started breaking down. And people couldn't figure out what was, they thought he had Parkinson's disease. Right. You know, because he would, he lost his motor syndromes of talking. So, you know, guys would be sitting next to him, yelling questions at him, and he would pretend like he fell asleep. Mm. But he was still training in the gym. You know, he was still. And then these young kids from Philadelphia University of Pennsylvania took his blood and really went to work on it. And they found out that his body was poisoned. From now, this. Jack, we, uh, you know, most of us have never heard this before. I, no I appreciate you sharing this. No one tells the real story about it, and that's right. the sad part. Well, I appreciate you telling, because again, you know, the medical community is raising a lot of money, uh, and Parkinson's is real. It's, it, I don't have any, oh, no, anything wrong disease. with that. They're no, raising no, a lot no, of money, no, no. but they're using it. They're using um, Muhammad Ali and others, and and also coming against boxing to yeah. say, well, you know, they, that, that's what they said that he got that it happened because of his fights, but right. that's not what happened. Actually, wow. You know? Wow. I mean, he was, um, I remember when he went down to fight Foreman, you know, mm -hmm. he, he came to me and he asked me about Foreman. He said, Jack, tell me, tell me about George Foreman. I said, I'll tell you the honest truth. I said, I think he suffers sickle cell disease. Mm. He said, really? I said, I think he gets tired. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I had him beat in the first couple rounds and I walked into a punch. It was my own fault. Gotcha. And I only trained like seven days for the fight. And, you know, and I walked into a punch, but I got up and I, that really is what made me mad is that I got up and they stopped the fight right away because they didn't take no chances. So, right, right. Uh, that that you could come back and George knock him out. Had, right. Like, we've had conversations about that. And so anyway, he was, so he, he asked me about, so what he did was <laughs> he's the one that loosened the ropes. Okay. When they okay. did the rope a dope, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And what he did was he would he 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 let George. If if he hit George in the second round with the punch that he knocked him out with in the seventh round, it wouldn't have affected him as much. Gotcha. gotcha. George was a gorilla, man. Right. But right. He would George. He Ali was lying on the ropes, and George was swinging as hard. I mean, when you. You swing and you keep swinging like that. Yeah, it's going to take a lot out of you. punches, it takes a lot out of you. Right, right, Muhammad right. Kept, Muhammad kept whispering in his ear, my wife hits harder than you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my and, and, and George was missing them with a lot of punches because Muhammad was going back further than they than, than you would expect because the right. rope was soft, you understand? Ah, uh, okay. And, and George, and when you take a full swing at somebody like that, and you're not hitting anything, then you yeah. got to pull yourself back to set yourself again. That's right. That takes a lot out of you. So wow. he was tiring him out. He'd get him in, he'd grab him in a clinch and he'd start whispering in his ear, you know, you hit like a broad. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know? And he was a great chatterer, man. You know, there's no two ways about it. But, right, and when right. he hit George with that punch, you know, and, and he stopped him, uh, like I said, you know, I, I think he, he's, he just, George got fatigued, I think, you know? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But uh, no one's ever going to say that. You know of course, of course. And, and, uh, and you know, I think I, I think I either uh, read something or uh, Ali said himself that, that George 
you know, some of those <laughs> those punches did land, and George probably oh, no, one of the hardest he, hitting guys he had ever boxed. Oh yeah, he come people. He took he. I mean, but he had a great body. Ali could take a lot of punishment. Wow. You know, he, he just was. He was. He was a great athlete, and he rode everything. You know, he moved with it. Right. He couldn't right. hit him square. Gotcha. Very hard to hit him flush on. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Now, now, so so you're 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 an old school boxer, and so I'm going to ask you a question yeah. that maybe some of our younger listeners would, would want to want to know from your perspective. Um, a two of the greatest heavyweights, of course, was you know, of course, is Ali, but the other one is Tyson. What do you uh, think that uh, fight would be? Tyson was Tyson. Tyson. Tyson was the greatest one. Now, you, you, he he came up. They brought him up right. Gus Damata brought him up right. Gotcha. And uh, and taught him. And if, if Gus Damata would have lived Stayed with for him. Tyson's yes. whole career, yes, it would have been a different career. Yes, he I had, agree. He had Tyson fighting the right way, and you know, but Tyson, after Gus died, and Don King got a hold of him, I agree. One hundred percent. Tyson started getting hit all the time. One hundred percent. Do, and do you, anybody, anybody who threw a combination could beat him. And I had this conversation with Buster Douglas. Okay. Buster Douglas was a very good fighter, but he was always overweight. Overweight, he didn't right. Like, he didn't like fighting. His father mm. pushed him into it. But when they took him to Vegas to train for the Tyson fight, he took off the weight and he really got in shape. For Tokyo. And he threw combinations at Tyson. Gotcha. He was hitting him with the second, third, and fourth shot, flush. Now, now, um, Buster's was like, dad was I mean, a boxer was a as well, bet. right? That was a great bet. He was a like forty to one. Yeah, <laughs> but now his father was a boxer too, right? Yeah, well, his uh, father was a fighter, and he wanted his son to be a fighter. But gotcha. He didn't like boxing, and he, gotcha. you know, he was always heavy, heavier mm. than he should have been. But he was always a very good boxer. Mm. He had good feet. He had good hand movement, speed. And he could fight. Gotcha. Buster could fight. I got you. You know, he knew how to fight. And he, when he got in really good shape, it just shows you there's a difference, okay? You know, I, I'll give you a good example. I was, I was back home one time in Jersey, and I couldn't go out of my house because of some problems. So I, I was training every day. And they called me up to fight a kid named Terry Daniels. Okay. In Houston, Texas, and Daniels was ranked like number five in the world. And they were looking for a white heavyweight to fight Frazier in Houston. Okay. Okay. And they called me up. Lou Vescuzzi, the promoter, said, to, "You would you take the Daniels fight?" I said, "Certainly." So I flew to Houston, and I got off the plane, and he said, "My God, you're in great shape." I said, "Well, aren't you supposed to be in shape when you come to a fight, man?" <laughs> and and I destroyed this kid, Daniels. Wow. I mean, they should have stopped the fight in the first round, but it went three. And he was never, I mean, I, he was out for like a half an hour. I, oh, I wow. heard him that. Wow. I even stopped and said to the referee, stop the fight, man. And the kid had a, had a reputation of coming back on people. Okay. So they said, keep on fighting. So I hit him a left hook and dropped, picked him up and dropped him in another corner, you know. And um, and when, so then when I went back on the plane to Philly, I was with Yank Dorham. And, and he said to me, um, you want to fight Joe Frazier? I said, well, what are you talking nonsense? When and where? He said, you beat one more good fighter and you can have the Frazier fight. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you name the time and the place and send me a ticket. He said, you serious? I said, you name the fighter, the place and just send me a ticket. 
So they called me a week later and they said, you're fighting Cleveland Williams, who was a pretty good fighter. Right, exactly. And, 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 and let me tell you, a heavier puncher than, than George was. Really? And so I stayed in shape and, and, I, and I went down to Houston and I fought Cleveland Williams. That was his hometown. And, and in the third round, um, he hit me a left hook. My toe shook. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't think any man ever hit me that hard. And I thank <laughs> wow. God I was in the shape I was in. So and, you're saying, so you're saying one, of your, your, one of the hardest hitter, one of the hardest boxers you fought was Cleveland Williams. And, and he was a punch wise. Punch wise, yeah. Right. Okay, wow, wow. He hit me a left hook, boy. And I mean, I, 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 my, actually, my toes, I felt it in my toes. And he came charging me in the corner, and I thumbed him and cuffed him and spun him around. <laughs> and I whispered in his ear, I said, you're never touching me the rest of this night, sonny boy. And I gave him a boxing lesson. And, and like the uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round, if I hit him a combination, he started to fall. I grabbed him under the elbows and pulled him in. I said, man, don't be falling down on me now. We've been dead. Dancing all night together. Wow. Because I knew if he got knocked out, it was going to hurt his earning capacity. You understand? Gotcha. gotcha. So we went the distance, but I beat him 10 out of 10 rounds. So it was. Uh, gotcha. But he, and then, so I was supposed to get the Frazier fight and fight in Houston. But when they saw me fight Cleveland like that, they said, I don't think so. It, it ain't happening. Right. It so ain't happening. So Terry Daniels got the Frazier fight, and Cleveland fought George Savallo on the same card, and no one would fight me then because I just destroyed two top 10 fighters. Got gotcha. you. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> well now you, you, you retired from boxing in 74 and then you transitioned into, into acting. Now I have to, I have to be a little geeked out here because I've always been a, um, always been a, a, uh, uh, 007 fan. And so, uh, to see you with that metal jaw, no, that wasn't me. That was Richard Keel. Oh, I'm sorry, Richard. Okay, I'm they, sorry. They I'm sorry. came to me to do that movie, and I okay. turned it down. Okay. They, okay. Um, they, um, when I, when I got, uh, when I retired. That from was boxing, Richard. I'm sorry. You're right. That was when Richard. I retired Keel. from boxing. They, uh, I had already been offered a couple of films in my career when I was, I was undefeated in Boston up in the, in the late '60s, early. Well, yeah, about '67. Steve McQueen came in to do Thomas Crown Affair. And, okay. Uh, and we looked after Steve, and he and I became real good friends. And, and he said, uh, you know, come on down the set. I'll put you in the movie. And you come to Hollywood, man. We'll have a great time. And I said, I don't think uh, I'm undefeated as a heavyweight. I think that uh, I'm going to stick around. So he, we became with, he used to call me on the phone. Man, you got to come out here. And then in 69, I had knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was the number two heavyweight in the world. Right, and they offered me the Great White Hope with okay. James Earl Jones. Really, it was the biggest okay. movie in Hollywood. Yeah, at the time. yeah, yeah. And the deal was put together by a man called Raymond Patriarca from Rhode Island. Uh, made a deal with Eddie Foy at Fox to, to get me off the streets. They were going to send me to Spain for six months, and I said, "Yo, man, I just knocked out the number two heavyweight. I can fight Ali right now, and and you want me to go to Spain? I don't think so." Right. And when I turned the movie down, they were all upset. Wow, oh my God. I said, well, there's a guy named Jim Beatty who just retired from boxing, and he's a big white kid, and he's a nice kid, feeding six mouths, and needs a job. Call him on the phone. Okay. <laughs> I walked so, out of the office. So he got I was the... leaving. I'll show you how small the film industry is. I was leaving Fox, and 
I was walking down the steps and James Earl Jones was coming up the steps and he stopped me. He said, Jack O'Hara. And I said, James Earl Jones. He said, is it true what I just heard about you? And I said, depends on what you heard. He said, you just told Hollywood to take the biggest movie out here and stick it? I said, well, I guess if you want to. He said, I got to shake your hand. I never met anybody had done that before. And he and I became friends. And James was a, is a seriously nice man. Um, so I, and then I got a call from a queen and, you know, so the, I went on to, um, when I retired, they came to me to do a film called Farewell My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. With Robert Mitchum, yeah. And I looked around and I said, you know, I think it's about time I took them up on this stuff. And I, they flew me out to Hollywood and I did a screen test and Mitchum said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. Okay. <laughs> so so Robert Mitchum uh, kind of kind of prodded you to 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 get into into. If uh, you film. ever were going to have a mentor for something in your I life, can imagine. I Robert can imagine. was the guy. Let me I tell you, imagine. he was brilliant. He was. A, we became like a father son duo. He he knew a lot about me. He knew where I came from. And, you know, he just uh, he just. Uh, walked me down the street through this acting business and gotcha. which I was a natural candidate for and it worked out very well. Gotcha. Well now you... business is a strange business, you know, it's uh it boils down to one word, the word presence. Okay. Either the camera loves you or it doesn't. Or it doesn't, right. And so I now you be very lucky about that. Jack, you know the question is coming because you know a lot of our listeners want to hear about your time on Superman too. So, Superman uh, was, uh, I was doing a movie, March or Die, down in, uh, in fact, that's when I had signed to do March or Die, and okay. uh, and they came, Cubby Broccoli came to, to Beverly Hills to my agent's office for me to do the Bond movie. Okay. And they, they begged me, man, they, geez, they were there, and I, and I, uh, I said no. Uh, I, well, I said, you know, got to work it out with my agent, because I just signed to do this picture, March or Die, which was a big movie with Gene Hackman, Catherine Deneuve, yeah, yeah. Max von Sydow, and, and, and a kid named Terrence Hill who was a big Italian actor. And uh, and so I went and while I was doing March or Die, they, they, they called for Hackman and I to fly up to London to talk about Superman, to meet Richard Donner. And uh, they asked me, you know, how I thought of the script. I liked it. And I said that they said, what do you think about this character? And I said, I, 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 I embraced playing a character like that. And he said, right. you have no problem with that? I said, no, because Jackie Gleason was a good friend of mine. He did a picture called Gigo that he won an Oscar for. Right. right. And playing a deaf, dumb, mute guy. And if, I said, if I ever got a chance to do a role like that, you I would it. truly embrace it. Wow. And okay. When okay. you And Nan was the perfect character because... You had Zod was a, was a vicious general. Right. Sarah was the man eater. Right. And somebody had to relate the to the kids because right. it was a big child audience. You know? Right. Right. So I said, I want to take this big brutish guy and I'm going to play him like a child. Got you. Got you. Learning how to work his eyes and being all jubilant about doing something right and you know, uh, trying to get Zod's favor and stuff. You know, and uh, and it, it worked out pretty well. Well, like I said, it is it's a, it's an enormous pleasure for me as a uh, as a movie buff and a fan. Uh, and I just got to say, Jack, never thought I would have an opportunity to interview you um, with uh, your story, career, and and all that you've done. Um, I want to tell you thank you for using your talents 
to um, in boxing, football, because all of it's entertainment, but, but you use your talents as an athlete and also as an actor to uh, bring, bring so much pleasure to so many people. And so I want to thank you so much. My pleasure. Wonderful. And, uh, got a great book out there they're going to enjoy. We're going to get ready to do a miniseries about it. It's going to be kind of cool. On, on the family legacy? You're getting ready oh, to do yeah. a miniseries? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. three more books coming. Have you, have you, have you, and you know, I'm trying to, trying to get an exclusive here. So <laughs> have you signed with the, with the studio yet or? We're, we're, we're right on the brink right now. We're okay. just putting uh, the financing together. We've got distribution deal that we, we know we have and it's going to work out pretty good. Uh, okay. Gonna, wonderful. Gonna, wonderful. Fact, we're doing, we're doing a combination. You, you're a New Yorker, so you'll know about, you know, who Charlie Luciano is. Oh yeah, definitely. So we yeah. have yeah. Charlie and my father were partners and, okay. and we have, and his son's a friend of mine and he's got his father's, the last Testament of Charles Luciano. Oh, wow. And uh, we're going to melt everything together and really okay. tell the truth about a lot of things. And, that went on it's gonna be it'll be a great series so so can you do me a favor jack how can people get family legacy and how if uh, they go to uh family legacy the novel.com okay okay and it takes you right to amazon and uh, and then in another another 30 days 45 days there'll be another book coming out it's uh it's gonna be that's good. If you said, uh, do I have your email address? I got your email. Address. You do. You do. Yeah. I'll send you. I'll send you uh, a manuscript. Oh you'll, wow! You'll enjoy. We would. Would you? Uh, well, there's no way for you to sign it, but uh, I would truly enjoy that. That would be great. Yeah, I'll send you the manuscript, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll enjoy it. And what you could do is you just take take the first page of it off of it, and you copy and send it back to me in an email, and I'll copy and sign the first. Page I sure will do that. I will do that. I will do that. Well, Jack, it has been such a pleasure to have you. Now, this, 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 the, the latest book. Um, what is going to be the title of it? Or it's, have you... it's it's going to be the continuation of Family Legacy. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. We're going to do like three books, and we're going to and really tell. You know, everybody does these mob book stories. Right. You know, and, right. And, uh, there's no crystal ball in Hollywood, but the one genre that's never lost money. Or organized crime. Yeah, that's even the spoofs. This is true. And <laughs> nobody's ever done, you know, like uh, what we're about to do is like a hundred stories about the Godfather because we're going to put all the real names in, and okay. we're going to tell the truth about what really happened. Wow. And uh, and so many people have, you know, it's like where well, you lived in the Bronx in New York, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, how old? If I may ask, how old are you? Fifty-seven. Well, you're a baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, compared compared to to you, Jack. Well, you're a baby. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Like I'm 77 years old. I got so, you. You're the age of my the, dad, right? The time frame. I mean, you've heard as a child, you heard stories about what happened in New York of 20 years before, right? And of 30 course. years before, right? And and those stories were handed down from grandfather to father to son, you know. So when we do this series, we'll have an audience from like 90 to 16, you know? Okay. Uh, because you. these stories have all been fed through the family and they always wondered why they never saw the truth in their newspapers or anything. No one ever told the truth about things that happened. Gotcha. You know, it's gotcha. like if you've seen, uh, they did this picture of the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I knew Frank Sheeran very well. And he was okay. a driver of Papa, but he never killed him. Gotcha. And he never killed Joey Gallup. 
Okay. Who was okay. up in New York in Europe. Right, right, right. And he, was, he did not kill Joey Gallo, trust me. Okay. And uh, Joey got himself in trouble with his own rhetoric. Um, but, uh, you know, Hollywood takes advantage of things of unknowns where no one's ever put an answer to certain stories, you know? And kind of so stress the truth, time, right? Yeah, it's time to tell the truth about something. Gotcha. Gotcha. And people are going to say, see, I told you so. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you're going to have family gatherings where people are going to say, well, didn't I tell you that story was true? Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all good. You know? Well, Jack, we, we surely appreciate having you on Moments of Grace. And, and I surely hate for our time to, to come to a close because you have been just uh, so eloquent and uh, uh, just just a wealth of knowledge. You You've truly enlightened me to several things i think i've i've gotten more enlightenment from you than any interview and i love the interview and don't get me wrong of, of that i've ever had so i appreciate you sharing some of your history some of your truth um and and sharing your life and like i said earlier you know to have the story career that you've had and and to still uh, be working like you are it, it is definitely um an accent to your character and and who you are I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you have a, 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 an enlightenment for Muhammad because it, it's very sad that the truth about him has never can really come out, you know. And he, no, I appreciate that. We really he was, appreciate uh, that. He was a phenomenal individual, let me tell you that. The guy was, he was uh, one of the brightest guys I ever met. He was, he was a trip. He really, Got you, my he friend. Really was, he, was, he was an outstanding individual. Well, Jack, as you're as you're moving forward in your your new projects, can we can we uh, pin you down maybe to come back and, and share with us uh, in the in the future, maybe next year or uh, anytime? Sure, oh, for sure, wonderful, wonderful, my friend. Well, we have been talking with Irish Jack O'Halloran, and uh, he has has played football. And again, if you played the game earlier. Uh, at the beginning of the show and, and you figured out that we were talking about Jack, then then you won. If you did not, then you learned a ton of stuff today. He has been just so eloquent and, and such a wonderful guest. And we, we, you know, we love to have people like Jack on that, that, that share what we didn't know. Um, for us, it may be trivia, but for him, it's a, his life. And But one thing Jack has shown us that even in the midst of a diagnosis, uh, if you have the will and the power, um, you can press your way through. You can survive just about anything. Uh, he mentioned some some dynamic people that he's known over the years, some great friends that he's had, some people that like myself that that you know only have seen on the screen, but Jack knew, and so he has come to share you know his 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 life story with us, and and of course you know. We only heard <laughs> only heard thirty minutes of it. There's there's more to tell. There's more to Jack's story, but the reality is um, that we all can do great things. Um, Jack did several different careers, and I just believe even yourself, if you can do one or two things and do it well, there'll always be a place for you. And with that said, thank you so much for being part of Moments of Grace. Remember to love God, love life, keep the light on. We'll see you next time. Moments of Grace. Take care. Have you ever wanted to learn how to trade 
in the stock market, maybe for an exchange or even how to buy investment property. Check out this company that is teaching beginners how to become winners in the markets. It is TradeAcademyPro.com. Again, TradeAcademyPro.com. Thank you.